This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso. As the pandemic's pause in business threatens to put millions of Americans out of work and leaves companies across a range of industries wondering how they'll even make payroll, bankruptcy lawyers' phones are ringing off the hook. Joining me is leading bankruptcy expert Edward Morrison, a professor at Columbia Law School. Many bankruptcy lawyers are seeing an almost unprecedented number of calls from businesses, large and small. Are many of them panicking too soon? I don't think so. I think that the urgency of action in Congress is indicative of the crisis that many businesses, consumers too, are suffering right now. I mean, the social distancing has led to a plummet in in revenues earned by businesses and income earned by consumers, and that shortfall is creating financial distress for those who can't pay their debts as they come due. And even if this is a temporary problem, in the sense that our economy might rebound, it's still a problem with great urgency right now. Is it hard for businesses to project whether they'll need to file for bankruptcy when the situation is so open-ended and the unknowns outweigh the knowns? Yes, I think that the post-coronavirus environment is really hard to predict right now. We'd love to imagine that the economy will rebound like a rubber band after this pandemic is resolved, but there's a lot of uncertainty about how quickly the economy can rebound, especially if many businesses die during this period. It'll take time for them to be reborn. And the businesses that die are businesses that no longer employ workers. And those workers no longer have the kind of income that they had before and are no longer spending like they did before. So one of the great uncertainties is how long it'll take for businesses to rebound. That depends a lot on how long it takes for workers to become reemployed, to get their incomes back up, to consume again. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty for many businesses. And that's particularly problematic, I think, for firms that have lots of debt right now, that these are the kinds of firms that bankruptcy was meant to help. Bankruptcy is a solution for firms that have debts that cannot be paid as they come due. But Bankruptcy is typically used by firms that have debt that just can't be repaid anytime, or at least unlikely to be paid in the long term. Very frequently, you find firms in bankruptcy that are insolvent in the sense that the debt exceeds the value of their assets, and that's thought to be a permanent condition. And therefore, bankruptcy is used to bring those debts down to a level consistent with the company's ability to pay. For many businesses during this current crisis, They may be temporarily unable to pay those debts as they come due, but in the long term, there's a lot of reason to think that if the economy returns sooner than later, they're going to regenerate themselves, start earning income, and be able to pay those debts as they come due. So it's a difficult time for companies that have, in some sense, are going through an emergency condition right now. It's not a permanent insolvency. In some sense, it's a temporary insolvency. And that's a bit of an unusual condition for many firms thinking about bankruptcy. One lawyer said distress situations are ramping up more quickly now than they did in 2008. Do you see a comparison to 2008 with this situation, or is it different? I think it's very different. I think that the 2008 is typically described as a 2008 financial crisis, and I think the adjective financial tells us a lot. It's a crisis that primarily began in the financial sector. The poster child of that era is Lehman Brothers, So you had financial institutions hemorrhaging, and those failures, what we worried about was the reverberation of those failures through the economy. And we worried that 
the financial conditions of the banks could infect Main Street and make lending difficult, to make it harder for small businesses to run. And a lot of the effort was to stem the infection and prevent it from spilling over from the financial sector to Main Street. This is a crisis that's beginning on Main Street. And in fact, you see a lot of the effort is, is preparing the financial sector for the aftershocks, because what we're seeing first is a decline in incomes of consumers, a decline of sales at businesses. This leads to an inability to pay debts as they come due. This means that banks are not getting their debts paid as they come due. So I think it's a very different kind of crisis, and it calls for a different set of policy responses. If anything, if there's anything that is a connection between the two crises is is learning. I think that what we're seeing today is a incredibly rapid response by the Federal Reserve, by Congress. And, and when I say incredibly rapid, it's relative to what we saw in the previous crisis. In 2008, it took a long time for the federal government to kind of figure out what's the right game plan. Policies kind of came and went. Policies were tried, were turned out to be unsuccessful. There's a readjustment. I think what we're seeing now is that within weeks, we see this incredibly rapid move by regulators, by legislators to try to address this crisis. And I think if one thing we might take away is that the 2008 crisis wasn't so long ago, and we built a, both, uh, a lot of learning from that experience that's prepared us better for dealing with this crisis, even if the policy responses are different. I've been talking to Edward Morrison, a professor at Columbia Law School, about bankruptcies in the face of the pandemic's pause in business. For some businesses in the hardest-hit sectors, is reorganization even going to be possible? Let's say you own a chain of hotels. Can you really sell off some hotels or assets to reorganize at this time? Well, I think that there are many ways to conduct a bankruptcy, and the, uh, bankruptcy doesn't necessarily require selling off assets. It's true that many bankruptcies do. Many firms enter bankruptcy and slim themselves. But these are typically firms that have overexpanded, taken on too much debt, opened too many um, outlets, too many hotels, and realizing that they need to um, reduce their scale, go back to their core competencies, and become a smaller, leaner, more efficient business. That's one type of bankruptcy, but there are many other kinds of bankruptcies you can envision. Bankruptcies in Chapter 11 is the style of bankruptcy most corporations use, and it's incredibly flexible and adaptable. Another kind of bankruptcy is one that doesn't involve any asset sales. It could be a, a, bit, a firm that enters bankruptcy, uses bankruptcy as a, um, a holding station to help weather the storm. And during this holding station, the firm's directors can negotiate with the creditors and negotiate for example, for forbearance, to extend the maturity dates of the loans. Any kind of deal can be structured. The virtue of, of Chapter 11 is it's a device that brings everybody together in one place to negotiate simultaneously with each other over the future of the business. And so you can have a business that enters bankruptcy and comes out looking pretty much the same to consumers. Look at the airlines. United Airlines went in, went out for many consumers, it wasn't a recognizably different company. General Motors went in, came out, still selling Silverados. And so I think that, <laughs> that though many companies may be in a position where it's very difficult to liquidate their assets in the current environment, Chapter 11 doesn't require that to happen. Chapter 11 just requires that 
that the firm and its creditors reach a deal that's in the mutual interest of everybody. And that, that deal that can be structured may be one that says that creditors will give the firm more time, allow the firm to recover. On that point, though, will there be problems inducing a bankruptcy lender to make a loan in these times? Yes. You put your finger on, I think, one of the most difficult features of the current environment. And one way to sort of make clear how critical it is, is that you began pointing out that we're in an environment where asset values have fallen, a hotel might enter bankruptcy and find very few or no buyers for its assets. But that kind of world makes no one happy. Creditors don't like that. The firm doesn't like that. The shareholders don't like that. No creditor wants to be in a bankruptcy where I'm getting paid very little because we're selling assets at fire sale prices. Nobody wants that. Everybody would prefer a reorganization of the company that keeps all the assets together to weather the storm. That's possible. Chapter 11 is flexible. But what Chapter 11 requires is blood flow and cash is the blood flow. It keeps the process alive. To have a bankruptcy process, you have to have the cash that allows for you to pay professional fees, your workers, keep the firm alive. Most firms are entering bankruptcy too because of a cash crunch. Their typical view of a firm in bankruptcy is that it's insolvent. And most people think that's the problem that it is bringing the firm into bankruptcy is because its debts exceed its assets. Actually, The real problem that's typically triggering the bankruptcy filing is an absence of cash, which is the blood flow of the business. So the firm is entering bankruptcy. It wants to reorganize itself, but it needs cash. It needs new loans. How is it going to get that? And as you point out, in the current environment where banks are reluctant to extend loans, it can be very difficult. But I think that's during a crisis, that's a problem that the government can help with. We've seen it before, that the government can be a supplier of liquidity during a crisis, as it was for firms like General Motors and Chrysler during the previous crisis. We began by talking about how the last crisis was different because it began in the fan- it primarily began in the financial sector. That's true, but at the same time, it was an environment where banks were uh, unwilling to lend. There was a f- sort of a freezing up of credit, and... We saw a collapse. We saw some of the infection of the financial markets did enter the real economy. We saw automakers like Chrysler and General Motors suffer. Those firms went into bankruptcy. They needed liquidity, and the government stepped in. I think that is a fundamental role of the government during a crisis is to provide liquidity. And in fact, that is what the government is doing right now but not doing it through the bankruptcy process. And I think that's a missed opportunity. Right now, under the CARES Act, for example, Congress has authorized the Treasury to make loans outside of bankruptcy, to provide financing, for example, to the airline sector. I think there's a lot of reasons to debate whether it makes sense to, for the government to be offering direct loans to firms outside of bankruptcy. I think it, there's a lot to be said for a policy that would make loans inside of bankruptcy. The virtue of making loans inside of bankruptcy is twofold. One, it solves the liquidity crisis that many of these firms are facing right now, a liquidity crisis that is made doubly difficult by the fact that it's hard to get loans from banks. Okay? The, another advantage of making the loans through bankruptcy is that, it, it, that loans in bankruptcy are ones that are done in the context of a reorganization process that forces all the investors to share the pain, so to speak. That in a reorganization, that you, you may be in a situation where shareholders will have to have their shares canceled because the firm, to reorganize it, it must convert some of its debt to equity. 
Okay, that's a, that's very often the shareholders are wiped out in bankruptcy. And so what that means is that the bankruptcy process is one where the financial stress suffered by the firm is borne by the investors who brought that firm to life. The shareholders, the creditors, they bring the firm into bankruptcy. They suffer losses. They suffer haircuts as the, as the firm's future is renegotiated. The government can come into that process and, and offer liquidity, but nonetheless, a lot of the losses will still be borne by the, the investors who brought it to life. Loans under the CARES Act are made directly to airlines, other industries, in a, without requiring there to be a simultaneous bankruptcy filing. So these are loans where there's, there, the loss that the loss is being suffered by the airlines is now being shared by the taxpayers uh, using m- public monies. And so shareholders are not suffering the kind of loss that they would suffer in bankruptcy. Creditors, too. So, the in, so in some sense, loans outside of bankruptcy, such as those loans being made pursuant to the CARES Act, are loans that allow shareholders and creditors to avoid some of the losses they would suffer in bankruptcy. My view is that, it's, that having those investors bear those losses in bankruptcies is better for the public because it's better, I think, to live in a world where investors enjoy all the upsides of, of uh, profitable operations, but also bear some and a meaningful part of the downsides of failure, even if that failure occurs during a, um, during a crisis. The kind of prepackaged bankruptcies where companies spend months negotiating with creditors and restructuring their finances before they go to court, are we likely to see less of those? in this environment? Well, it's hard to know. I think on one hand, you could say that we might see fewer prepacks because they take time to negotiate and time is of the essence now for many companies and therefore there may not be time to have uh, as many prepackaged cases. On the other hand, um, shareholders, um, I mean, the creditors of a company the directors of a company, they have strong incentives to try to make the bankruptcy process as smooth as possible, as quick as possible, so that it does the least damage to the firm's operations, to its reputation, um, and requires the least financing during the bankruptcy process. So you could imagine that there may be, I think, strong incentives to organize a prepack. Um, I think that also a great virtue of a prepack is that it can be done in a way that avoids the risk of fire sales of assets. I mean, the nightmare scenario is that a firm enters bankruptcy and some creditors push for the sale of assets, even at depressed prices in the current environment. That's a nightmare scenario for the firm because it's losing assets. It's usually a nightmare scenario for, other cr- for creditors because these assets are being sold for values less than what could be obtained otherwise. But there may be some creditors who just want a quick payout. They want to move on. Maybe these creditors themselves are short on cash, and they want the quick sale. So one of your nightmare scenarios is going into bankruptcy, and then the bankruptcy filing actually hurts the firm. The goal of bankruptcy is to help the firm, in some sense at least to give it time to weather the current crisis. The last thing you want is a bankruptcy that hurts the firm, and that's one thing you worry about. A virtue of a prepack is that you can, you can choose your own destiny. Okay, through the prepack, you can you can get sufficient creditor consent to a path that preserves value and avoid some of these nightmare scenarios. And the reason for that is that in bankruptcy, there are a variety of voting rules that allow majorities to outvote minorities. And so, if 
you can design a prepack with majority creditor consent, you may be able to avoid some of the nightmare scenarios. And just to nail the point even more clearly is fire sales are always bad. We live in an environment now where fire sales are potentially more likely because asset values have fallen. It's hard to sell assets at true value, fundamental value in this current environment. So the nightmare scenario is particularly worrisome in the current economic environment. That's going to spur firms as much as possible to avoid that nightmare scenario, perhaps including using prepacks. Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Edward Morrison, a professor at Columbia Law School. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.